Do we need another picture book about plants? Here is an abridged version of Nigel Chaffee's review of rare plants. The Story of 40 of the World's Most Unusual and Endangered Plants by Ed Icken. If you're looking for a longer read of a botanical nature for the winter 2021 holiday season, may I offer you some thoughts on rare plants by Ed Icahn. It's entitled Rare Plants, but is that enough to entice the would-be reader to open it and read within? Hopefully, the subtitle, The Story of 40 of the World's Most Unusual and Endangered Plants, gives a little more idea of the book's subject matter. The plants chosen are arguably both unusual and endangered, which makes them not only rare, but also precious. And the way in which the material is packed is an interesting marriage of text and an evocative blend of artwork sourced from the Q archives and authoritative and illuminating art. The 40 plants are presented in alphabetic order, by scientific name. There are approximately 205 pages of main text. Each separate plant entry is either six pages like baobab or mandronet or four pages for plants like the suicidal palm or egg in a nest orchid. The book is completed by a glossary, suggestions for general reading, and six four-columned pages of index. Rare plants is generally very well written with some nice touches of style and phrasing. Apart from the single page of introduction, every main text page appears to have at least one image on it. This superabundance of illustrations, which include paintings of plants, landscapes, copies of letters, herbarium sheets, pages from books and journals, and a single photograph, means that the ratio of text to pictures for each plant entry is quite low. For example, of the six-page entry for a puncture only approximately one and a half pages are text. The six pages about the Chilean wine palm has fewer than one and a half pages of text. Whilst that may have meant that writing the book was an easier task than its 200-plus pages might suggest, one can only imagine that any time saved there must have been more than used up selecting the hundreds of images that embellish and brighten up this book. The book is pleasingly wide-ranging. Topics covered include ethnobotany, plant taxonomy, plants and people, endangered plants, conservation, and the important role of botanic gardens. Threats to plants include habitat destruction, over-exploitation of the plant resource, climate change, and represent quite a depressing catalogue of the ways in which plants have been reduced in number over time. But, the roles of in-situ and ex-situ conservation, partnerships between botanic gardens and local peoples, and the need to encourage more sustainable management, harvesting practices, are all mentioned where appropriate within the plant stories and give some hope that all may not yet be lost, for at least some of the plants concerned. Apart from their presumed rarity, nowhere in the book are the criteria for selection of the included plants stated. That omission gives me permission to suggest that the 40 entries are a curious mix that includes aloe vera, mistletoe, Tunbridge filmy fern and not one, but two water lilies, Nuffa pamilla, and Nymphaea thermorum. The latter was only discovered in 1987, is already extinct in the wild. Somewhat surprisingly, Given the book's RBGQ co-publication pedigree and the author's post as director of Wakehurst, authorities are not shown with the scientific names, neither at the head of the plant entries, nor within the text. 
This seems rather at odds with Icon's text which emphasizes the importance of naming plants correctly so it is crystal clear what taxon is intended. Such nomenclatural clarity is greatly assisted by using the plant's full binomial scientific name with the relevant authority. The book's opportunity to set an example in that regard has been missed. For a tome that looks rather art-heavy, and therefore might appeal to a particular demographic, the text may appear a little too technical and science in places. It's true that the book deals with serious issues of science, which necessitates use of specialist words and terms, but I interpret that as being part of an unwritten goal of the book of attempting to increase the plant literacy of its readership. Many of the likely-to-be-unfamiliar technical terms are explained in text or in the book's two pages of two-columned glossary. For example, the term, allelopathy, although mentioned on page 181, it's not really explained, but it is defined in the glossary. Curiously, upon its first mention on page 25 the term, anthropocene, is not explained, although it is defined in text on its second mention on page 144, and in the glossary. Other terms, such as bioprospecting, and hapacanthi, are not only explained in text, but also defined in the glossary, although using different wording in each place, which can be defended as a useful pedagogic tactic of recap and reinforcement to enhance understanding. However, the very specific term, metapopulation, is neither explained in the text, nor included in the glossary. For some other terms, whilst being explained in text, the definitions seem a little unusual. For example, is monocellular on page 115 really the correct word to describe the frond of Hymenophyllum tunbrigens, a sheet-like structure that's one cell thick? Surely, the preferred term should be the more widely used word, uniseriate. In my mind, monocellular conjures up an image of an entity that consists solely of a single cell. As it does for writers of easily found definitions on the internet. Although in fairness, I should say that Lexico also defines it as consisting of or involving single cells of a layer one cell deep, and Merriam-Webster says it's a medical term meaning having or involving a single kind of cell. Although pictures of the plants are always welcome, and there's a load of them in rare plants, the value of some of the reproductions of handwritten letters from centuries, or even decades, ago is questionable because many of them are so hard to read. Even though the letter's contents are generally summarized in the book, it might have been more useful for a translation to have been provided for each such document. However, and as they are, they still have some worth, not only for a glimpse of the beautiful craft of penmanship that some of them display, but also in giving us a person dimension to the plant side of things. Rare Plants is that rare thing, a plant book in a box which also contains a collection of prints that could be used to adorn walls and add a bit of botanical beauty to your home, office, etc. But, although promoted as containing 40 frameable prints, purchases might be a little disappointed to discover that there are only 20 pieces of card, each of which is printed on both sides. So, you couldn't actually display 40 framed prints at the same time, you'd have to choose which of each pair to have on view. However, the majority of those prints are superb works of botanical art, and, at almost a four size, are big enough to display as they are. Apart from the print of the majestic Baobab Adansonia Grandi Didieri, which is a copy of a black and white photograph taken in 1882, all the other 39 prints are from multicolored paintings, 
whose details of subject, artist, and source are part of the legend to the same illustration in the main book's text. Curiously, the prints are not always of the plant that is named checked in the main collection. For example, an unspecified Gracilaria, a beautiful marine red alga, is shown as a print, but is not one of the book's 40 named rare plants. The named plant whose entry the red alga picture illustrates is tangleweed kelp, Laminaria hyperborea. Why there is no print of the kelp is not stated. And, unless we are told that only kelp that illustrates the entry, Laminaria claustoni, is regarded as a synonym for L. Hyperborea, we'd have been left with the impression that the named plant wasn't even illustrated in text. A similar situation exists where Hibiscus trilobus is the print, but the main entry taxon is Hibiscus fragilis. And for the four species plate of irises, none of which is the main entry plant, Iris sophorana. There are no in-text references. Yes, there is a general reading list at the end of the book. But, and apart from Curtis's botanical magazine, continuously published since 1878, that seems to just include books. Although, at best, these books are secondary sources for information presented in the book, it would be a mammoth task to relate individual books to specific facts in the text. I must therefore ask, is the plant story in the book? To which my answer must be, sort of. I can make statements and you get glimpses of the tales about each plant, but that's as far as it goes. To get more information on each plant, or just to check the veracity of what I can says, you have to do quite a lot of fact-finding on your own. That can either be frustrating, for those of us who appreciate properly evidence-based plant books, or it can be part of the joy of such a book, because it sets a challenge for the reader to search the interweb or whatever to get the facts behind the tantalizing snippets presented in the text. Rare Plants is a really good book. It's such a shame about its scarcity of sources. Essage, which can be summarized as all plants are precious and losing any would be a bad thing. Another important message, which is more of a plea, is that, for plants whose usefulness is just being discovered, conservation needs to be a central outcome of any commercial interest. That such a comment is needed is clear from several of the plant examples in the book, whose usefulness to people has led to their demise or reductions in numbers. So, time for a little message. Reminder from me, all plants are useful. If I had to select one plant to highlight the concerns that Icon strives to put across in rare plants, I'd choose Coffea stenophylla, Highland Coffee. Summarizing what Icon tells us about this plant, we are reminded that globally, production, consumption, and sales of coffee are extremely big business, and most of that trade concerns Arabica coffee from Coffea Arabica. Unfortunately, the Arabica coffee plant is quite delicate and threatened in several ways, not least of which is its inability to cope with demands from a warming climate. In the search for more resilience amongst the coffee crop, the Highland coffee plant, which is indigenous to Guinea, Sierra Leone and Côte d'Ivoire in West Africa, is being investigated, either as a cultivated crop in its own right, coffee made from the plant is apparently delicious and arguably superior to Arabica, or once interbred with other coffea species. The problem with both of these approaches is the rarity of coffea stenophylla in the wild. Although eventually found in several locations in Sierra Leone, wild stands of highland coffee were isolated and fragmented as a result of forest clearance for agriculture or timber. 
The current IUCN red list status for this species is vulnerable, with a downward population trend. ICANN concludes that plants entry by reminding us of the need to conserve the world's plant diversity if we are to exploit all the resources available to us to help cope with threats to food, and drink, security such as climate change. To return to the question posed in this blog item's title, do we need another picture book about plants? The rational me says, probably not. The maybe irrational, plant lover part of me says, there's always room for one more, you can never have too many plant books in your life. And, if you can't visit the places that house the real thing or look through the archived plant portraits, etc. Hidden in the depths of Q's vaults, then a book such as Rare Plants is a very good substitute. But, and importantly, Ed Eichen's tome isn't just a book of plant pictures. It marries plant portraits with serious text that enumerates the very real threats plants face and which have caused many of them to become rare. Perhaps by seeing the beauty of the 40 rare plants in the book's illustrations and prints we might better appreciate what we are in danger of losing, or have already lost in the wild in some cases, and that can only help raise public awareness of the dangers facing plants on a daily basis. If botany needs something as graphic and iconic as the giant panda munching bamboo or the polar bear atop a shrinking piece of ice to front the campaign to protect our planet's flora, then there are 40 in Ed Icon's rare plants to choose from. But, how about Lotus maculatus, a critically endangered endemic of Tenerife in the Canary Islands, as the plant equivalent of the poster boy to front the Protect the Planet's Plants campaign? Rare Plants by Ed Icahn is a serious and thoughtful book that is a very worthwhile read. With its coffee table book quality illustrations, it's also a beautiful book just to leaf through. Whatever reason you might have for picking it up, it is highly recommended to all who love plants. That was the audio version of a blog post on Botany One, available at www.botany.one. Botany One is the weblog of the Annals of Botany Company, a charity set up to promote the study of plants.